episode five. Why don't you uh, tell us your name and place of birth? <clears throat> William Brewster Kempton, Worcester, Massachusetts, which you saw for some reason I have a problem <laughs> with, and I don't know why. Well, you are here, William Brewster Kempton, because we need your expertise on a topic that's very near and dear to your heart. Ah. And that is professional wrestling. here and what we do on this show is we have a main umbrella topic we come up with some questions within that topic we give ourselves a time limit just to keep things you know keep us honest keep it tight yep and then we get to the end and we do a lightning round and then we get everybody out the door okay now what i want to do is just start with something really straightforward which is what is this is what i have written down what's your relationship with wrestling my relationship with wrestling <laughs> it's a pretty intimate one to be honest <laughs> with you <laughs> Um, is, there a, is there any other type of relationship with wrestling? Well, either either if you have one, it's gonna be intimate. That's right. It's yeah. It's tough to kind of just not tough to be not fully in on it. You gotta be in on it. You know, you gotta be all in, two feet in. Yeah. Um, relationship with wrestling. Well, my grandfather was a professional wrestler mm-hmm. way back in the day before Vince McMahon bought all the territories. <sighs> <sighs> I'm gonna buy all the territories. <laughs> We're a minute in, and we already got our first impression. <laughs> Way up in the Northeast, and he was a very local competitor, but that made my dad like professional wrestling. And then, so my dad knew a ton about it. And then when I was younger, my dad was just like, we're going to watch this. This is professional wrestling. And I was just like, that guy has big muscles, and he's wearing pink, and he makes pink look cool. And that was Bret Hart, of course. So Yeah, the hitman. Uh, the hitman, of course. Yeah. And from then on, I was like, I need to watch everything about this. And May 17th, 1998, the Worcester Centrum Center, which is now the DCU Center, uh, row four, seats eight and nine is where my dad sat. I'll show you the ticket. It's true. That's where we were. Oh, I believe you. WCW Slamboree. Mm. And this was one month after Sting lost the world title to the Macho Man. And I actually cried when Sting lost the world title. I was eight years old. So we go to the Centrum Center to watch this match, to watch Slamboree. My goodness. Was it a Slamboree? It was was amazing. I thought it was... (laughs) It was probably the best professional wrestling show that I've ever been to. And maybe I'm biased, but when you actually watch it on the WWE Network now, I still think it was probably the best one. Maybe other than an NXT show that I saw recently. And these are events that... You're comparing events that you've actually been to live. Yeah, live yeah, events. Yeah, live yeah. event. Okay, yeah. perfect. Probably been to 15 or 20. Probably can, 20. Can you predict why your dad thought... Like, we don't have to go into like your dad's background and interests, but why did he look at this and say, you know what, this is something that I want to inflict upon my son? He got me in right at the right point before kind of the peak of wrestling, which was the late 90s, right? And I think he... Oh, we're going to talk about that. Okay. As, yeah. long as, as long as we talk about the late 90s, of yeah. course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think he always had a thing for physical fitness, so obviously those guys were pretty big. Yeah. And uh, that's led to my love for physical fitness. You believe in fitness. I absolutely believe in fitness. And I think that's where it started. And um, there's funny pictures of me when I was like eight years old trying to lift weights with pictures of... Bret Hart hung up behind me. So <laughs> I don't know why I've talked about Bret Hart twice here, but yeah, that's well. That's he's obviously a form, formative part of your wrestling fandom. He is. Did yeah. your did your dad or did you take to the theatricality of what was going on, the storylines and things like that? I have a couple of questions around that that I want to get to later. Yeah, um, I did. So I, I believed for a long time that professional wrestling was real in the sense that the outcomes I thought were 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 real outcomes. I still believe professional wrestling. They were not designed by right. writers. They were, yeah, they were not uh, you know, soap opera scripted who wins, who loses. Yeah. And I was more upset when I found out that that wasn't true than when I found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. <laughs> I was very, very upset by that. And then that kind of led to me understanding the other side of it, which was the theatrical side. Loved that, loved character development. And then I started loving the business side of it too because when you actually look at what WWE does... It's amazing what they've what they've been able to do from a business model standpoint. They run more live shows than any other brand of any type of entertainment per year. Yeah, which is incredible when you think about logistics and performers and 
all the people setting up the shows. It's it's crazy. I'm trying to do some quick math in my head. Baseball seasons are 120, uh, 162 games. Yeah. Um, and I would be, I would not at all be surprised if there were more than 162 wrestling events per year between everything that happens. Well, um, yeah, I mean, if you just if you just do just WWE and just their main roster, not including NXT, just quick back of the napkin math here, is that it's over 200 shows, 208 shows. Yeah. They basically do four a week. Yeah. And that's that's the low end of it, so, yeah. Yeah, there, there are a couple other things that I want to talk about when it comes to the balance in the business between controlling narratives. Does it belong in the hands of the writer? Does it belong in the hands of the wrestler? Does Ooh. the audience factor into any of yeah. these things? Yeah. You also have the hand of Vince like above all of that, yeah. manipulating the storylines and him making decisions based on his you know, deranged logic because yeah. he, he knows what the consumer wants. <laughs> and it's all it's all part of the sideshow of just it makes you question how much of it is them playing into people who know that it's part of it is scripted. Is this part scripted? Which part is or isn't? And sure. there's as much there's as much intrigue as reality TV, but also as much designed intrigue as any drama show. I think if you are past the stage of being a little kid when you're completely in love with professional wrestling because it's you know, it's it's men throwing each other around in theater and it looks great. Yeah. Once you you can't be as big of a fan of it when you're older and not appreciate what the business is doing yeah. and everything behind the scenes. Or because at that point those are the people that are just like professional wrestling is silly. Like what is that? And that's because they don't understand the rest of it. You have to get to the next level to yeah. appreciate it when you're older. Yeah. And let's talk about you becoming acquainted with it in the mid-late 90s, which is affectionately referred to as the Attitude Era. Now, the Attitude Era. What I have written down to start this conversation off, what defines attitude? What defines attitude? Well, um... The way that, that, that they thought about it and Vince McMahon, the way this happened for, for WWF in the late 90s was uh, there was a gentleman by the name, I can't even call him a gentleman, there was a dude <laughs> by the name of Vince Russo who right. is basically um, credited with the Attitude Era from the creative standpoint. And he was a larger-than-life personality behind the scenes, and he was a writer, um, not for one of the shows or anything. He was just a writer for, like... Um, scripted drama or something like that, or yeah, know. and then he, well, then he was signed with WWF to write this magazine that they had called Raw Magazine. So they had WWF the magazine, which was just kind of overview, and then they had Raw Magazine, which was supposed to be this kind of cooler, hip, edgier magazine that they came out with. Yeah. One day, Vince McMahon. This is how the story goes. One day, Vince McMahon walks in a Tuesday morning after Monday Night Raw, where they got demolished by WCW in the ratings, and he walks in with this magazine of, of Raw Magazine. And he slams it on the table and he looks at his writers and he goes, we need to be more like this. We like, need to be like, like the, magazine. the magazine. We yeah. need to be like the magazine. And he called in Vince Russo at that time and said, you're going to write for Raw now. And Bruce Pritchard was in there with another, he was one of the writers at the time, Bruce Pritchard, and another guy who his name escapes me at this moment. But they were kind of like, okay, let's see what Vince does. And Vince Russo is famous for kind of stewing the Attitude Era and it's more crash-style TV where there was less in-rig segments, less focus on great matches. They still had great matches, but like your typical episode of Monday Night Raw went from X amount of ring time to half X amount of ring time, mm. you know, because he started doing backstage segments and over-the-top things that really caught on. The attitude of it was less around the preconceived notion of wrestling is a bunch of really fit dudes slamming each other around and extended that out into situations where you'd have a camera in the locker room and two dudes would get into it or you would have yeah, yeah. you would have sort of weirdness that you perhaps wouldn't expect and that do you think that that to just borrow the word do you think that attitude engaged more people during that time is that what people were looking for was this Vince acting on an impulse and saying that yeah we needed to be more like uh, they were skewing differently. We'll take that one step at a time. So Vince had his back against the wall from a business standpoint because Ted Turner. Yeah, he was, was getting wrecked by Ted Turner, who was Ted Turner was buying up. He want to talk about other crazy businessmen. Ted yeah. Turner, yeah, yeah. I actually don't know enough about Ted Turner other than his little. Wrestling He's a business, remarkable dude. Like yeah. he, he was basically a guy. We'll do a, you know a quick moment on Ted Turner. He purchased so much content 
to put on the networks that he owned and yep. bought the Atlanta Braves yeah, and right. put, to put it on the network that he owned. So he basically had a network to promote content he already had so he didn't have to pay licensing fees. So he just owned everything inside of a content sphere. Kids, he, That's was, pretty nice. he was basically the first YouTube star, yeah. as it were. <laughs> and he just took bought all this content, yeah. whether it was baseball or what have you, and yeah. put it out there. And then he also loved wrestling. And he also so loved he wrestling. Bought, he loved yeah. WCW. So he bought the, the he basically bought the Southern promotion, the good old boys wrestling of the South from Atlanta, WCW, WCW, as people affectionately call it. What he did is he he was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna I have so much money because I am the first original YouTube star apparently that yeah. I <laughs> take all this money and I'm gonna buy the wrestlers from Vince McMahon and I'm gonna make WCW super popular and they did and that's what happened. So he bought. Hulk Hogan, um, and he bought up, you know, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall are the, are the three really that you'll, you'll talk about, and he buys those guys, they come over, and Vince was against the wall, because Vince had these, he always, his wrestling view was that he had these, these kind of silly characters, if you will, you know, he kind of had these, these, like, even The Undertaker, The Undertaker's gimmick character, the, right, his, yeah. he, even his gimmick, which is, everybody knows is amazing, and he did an incredible <laughs> job with it, but if you think about really what it is, it's a really weird cartoon character brought to life. Yeah. And if Mark Calloway, who was the Undertaker, didn't portray it the right way, and if they didn't push him the right way, it would be one of those silly, failed gimmicks that you've seen so many times throughout the years. So Vince McMahon had his back against the wall, and he needed to do something different because WCW, with the NWO storyline, which we can talk about if you want, kind of changed things for him. He was getting destroyed, so he was like, you know what? We're going to stop with these characters, these cartoon characters, superhero characters, if you will. And what we're going to do is we're going to take somebody like Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is just a dick, (laughs) and we're going to put that on TV. Yeah. And that's what they did. Yeah. Well, let's pursue that a little bit. There are things beyond the traditional wrestling traits, whether it's athleticism or mic work. There have got to be other things that floated to the surface as Vince started clashing with WCW, as the Attitude Era began, as you had guys like Stone Cold coming out and doing other things. You know, from what I know, he was a real—he was really good on the mic. I don't know how good of a you know an athlete Stone Cold was. He was a presence. Yeah. Beyond beyond factors like athleticism and mic work for a wrestler, as it evolved into and beyond the Attitude Era, what are what are, can you name two other traits that were kind of added into these characters that Vince was brewing up so that he could actually counteract what was going on in WCW. Mm. <clears throat> well, he'll always say, and Vince talks about this all the time if you hear anything that he talks about, um, and you got to take it further than the, the, the surface level because he says they have to have the look, right? And the look doesn't necessarily mean that you are... He Forever Vince loved the huge, muscly guys, and he still does. But other people can have the look that gets them over. It just has to be this unique look that people are drawn to you for. So, I mean, if you think like the Attitude Era, Road Dog Jesse James, I don't think that dude could bench press 135 pounds. I mean, maybe he could. I don't know. That's, maybe that's not fair. Maybe not 185 pounds. The guy had was not a muscly guy at all. But because of his look, he was tattooed up. He was really edgy looking. He had these dreadlocks kind of shaved head look kind of thing going on. He wore right. the upside down visor and he made it cool, you know? So he combined that look with his mic works and he was fine in the ring. And that's something that he'll, that Vince always talks about. You have to have a different look, like um, something that makes you stand out. Like today I think about this guy named Alistair Black, who's in NXT. Yeah. And this guy, don't get me wrong, he can go in the ring, like unbelievable. But his look is just over the top. I mean, think about CM Punk, too. CM Punk doesn't look like an MMA fighter, which, oh, he's really not doing that well there. Uh-huh. But he had a look. He has this look that makes people be like, what's this guy going to do? Yeah. So beyond even engaging with the storylines that have been sketched out or actually wrestling in matches themselves, they have a, a presence that people can key in on. Yeah, let's follow this dude as he goes through whatever it is that he's going through. Yep. We will talk a little bit more about what is established by the wrestler themselves because those are factors that I'm sure the writers won't be able to conceive of. Mm. You know, you have a you have a CM Punk type and I don't know if they like keyed in on him the way that they keyed in on Roman Reigns who they want to elevate to such a high status because Vince thinks that he has a really good look. Yeah. You can't necessarily anticipate one type being elevated because of a look that the management didn't anticipate. It's it's true. 
It's true. An example of that recently is Bray Wyatt over the past. Oh few yeah, years, you know? yeah, yeah. He was originally named Husky Harris, and he was this weird-looking kind of I don't know Southern farm hick. I'm assuming is what his gimmick was. And then they came out with the Wyatt family. The thing that frustrates me the most with with the booking in WWE today is that uh, you know a couple of years ago when the Wyatt family came on. Bray Wyatt was the best thing that they had going on that show. Like his gimmick was so over. It still is, but it was it was ridiculously over. Where all the guy had to do was show up on the screen and people lost their minds. And they didn't capitalize on it enough. They could have made that guy an absolute megastar, bigger than he is today, ten times bigger than he is today, if they'd capitalized on that more. Then he comes in with like lantern and like creepy bayou yeah. mysticism weirdness. He, to me, he is... You know the show True Detective? Yeah, yeah. So the season, the actual, the good season. The, the yeah. Season two, Se- right? season, season one. Two. Season one. I thought it was season two. Oh, no, it is no, season, season one. one. Yeah, that's McConaughey season one. one. Yeah, 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 McConaughey, yeah. yeah. Who, he is what, like, the, his character is what should have been the, the bad person in True Detective at the end. When they have this weird people... The spaghetti, creepy, the spaghetti face man whatever, that they've been chasing the whole time. Whatever they find, yeah, and it's yeah. just like the weirdest kind of letdown of the best season yeah. of a show of all time. Like, Bray Wyatt's character is what should have been there. If Bray Wyatt had been there with his lantern and his <laughs> friends in their lamb masks, I would have been like, oh my god. What factors into the longevity of a particular storyline? When they started up the Attitude Era, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Marvel movies. They weren't like, okay, so this year we're gonna have this event happen, and then five years down the line, this yeah. is where we want to be. Yeah. Like, they, it always feels like wrestling, to their credit, is flying by the seat of their pants because they have live aspects to it, mm. and they have fan reaction that they have to deal with, and they have rising stars, they have injuries, the same with you, and have injuries with football. You have to wonder, how do they craft these storylines? What factors into the longevity of it? Do they conceive of rivalries? Do they elevate people that they think that would be well-placed for a pay-per-view at a particular time after a certain amount of, you know, kind of presence and saturation. Yeah. What factors into the longevity of a storyline? Longevity of storyline, I think, is based on how much the audience is going to relate to it and believe in it now, mm-hmm. right? And the Attitude Era is really what started that. Beforehand, storylines were basically, I'm the good guy, you're the bad guy, you know, I'm the face, you're the heel, you, you know, attacked me when I wasn't looking, and now we're going to fight for a few pay-per-views because we're two big names. You know, Stone Cold, Bret Hart, those people in the Attitude Era redefined what a heel was. And Stone Cold became the first, he was a heel character when you looked at, he had heel tendencies, right? Like, he had heel tendencies is what he did. Like, baby faces at that time were the Hulk Hogan, so you, you, you say your prayers, take your vitamins, kind of yeah. like the John Yeah, he, he speaks into, Hulk, yeah. Hulk, you know, spoke into the microphone, like, you gotta do these things, brother, you gotta go to the gym, you gotta go to church, you gotta take your vitamins, you gotta do this, and Stone, Stone Cold's gonna smash these beers! Exactly. Why? Because Stone Cold said so. Exactly. I'm gonna go be on a PlayStation game cover <laughs> for four years running in Texas. That's what happened. Yeah. That's what happened. The reason that, so that's his character, right? So he he made heels cool, and since then heels have been, you know, the good heels I think are different than the way they used to be. And the way the reason his storyline worked for the attitude here, the reason it really worked, was he did what every American wants to do, and that's beat up their boss. <laughs> he had the opportunity every Monday night to beat up his boss. That's what he did, and then everybody, you know, so everybody's like, oh, my boss was mean to me today. They go home, they try Monday Night Raw, and Stone Cold Steve yeah. Austin is giving his boss the bird, and yeah. get him a stutter. Like, I'm not, it's unbelievable. I'm not worried about Vince McMahon. Get him in the ring. Yeah, because that's, that's the great American dream, you know? Just finally uh, find the man who is wearing a more expensive suit than you, and, you know, thrash him on television for everybody to see. Thrash him on television. I mean, there was a scene where he, he poured concrete into Vince's Corvette. It was it was amazing. Poured he filled his entire Corvette with concrete, smashed the windows and everything. I mean, those type of things. You see your boss with the more money, more successful, and you're like, ah. List off all. Okay, list off as many things as you can that you can recall that uh, that Stone Cold did to humiliate Vince McMahon. <laughs> uh, well, the first was September twenty second, nineteen ninety seven, when he gave him his stunner live on television. Which actually, people now wrestling historians say that that was when the Attitude Era actually started. September twenty second, ninety seven edition of Raw. Where The Rock actually lost a match in less than six minutes on that show, oh, which is very rare. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's when he started doing that. Then he would give him the finger. He poured beer on him. Um, he actually pulled a gun on him at one point. 
made Vince, as they said on TV, Jim Ross so classically said, Vince McMahon has soiled himself. <laughs> he made he made Vince pee his pants, and then he shot the gun. And it was just this silly little thing that said "bang" through. Yeah, it's like the like the Joker. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. But he'd already made you know he made Vince cry. He poured the cement in his Corvette. Um, he went to the hospital, and when Vince was in the hospital, beat him over the head with a with a with a bedpan, and Vince was in his whitey tighties, which was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> that's that's what I got. Yeah. That's that's oh and and he brought the beer truck down. He brought the entire <laughs> beer truck down the raw stage, and poured beer on the entire McMahon family, which was incredible scene. Which Kurt Angle then replicated a couple years later, but used milk. Do you <laughs> do you remember what brand beer it was? Do you know what this? What does uh, Stone Cold drink? Um, I don't know actually. Uh. I'm not a beer guy. Sorry. Uh, he, I bet you. I mean, he's from Texas. He's probably drinking some. Like no label Texan beer that we haven't heard of, I'm or, pretty or sure, whatever I'm pretty sure sponsor. He has his own beer now. Oh, I'm sure. Dude, his Skull Ranch, he probably knows. That's yeah. his thing. Broke his Dan beer. Dan Aykroyd has his own vodka. I'm sure Stone Cold has his own beer. If Drew Bledsoe has his own wine. Anybody can have their Drew own. Drew Bledsoe alcohol. has his own wine. Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so the, the cell. When has the sell by date ever kind of? Uh, oh, good point. Appeared. Um. Yeah, I mean the most recent example of that was the the Randy Orton uh, Bray Wyatt feud from the beginning of this year where they they just had the I mean that's the worst feud I've can rem- I can remember in a long time. I mean they decided they're going to have a House of Horrors match, right? They're going to have a House of Horrors match. And this led to their WrestleMania match, but the House of Horrors match uh, it was reported that as little as, you know, less than a week before it WWE didn't know what the House of Horrors match was going to be. <laughs> they just liked the title. Well, then we're going to call it Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> yes, like Vince, why are we calling that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <sighs> and, and, <laughs> and Randy Orton, the whole thing was that he turned he was part of the Wyatt family, then he turned on them because in his mind he was plotting to get the title away from Bray. And so that was all fine and good, but then they started doing these weird things, and it culminated. Actually, it didn't even culminate here, but this was the worst part of the entire. Thing. First of all, the House of Horrors match was was them in this basically true detective looking creepy house. <laughs> okay. And Randy ended up throwing a refrigerator on top of Bray Wyatt. Like, That's kind of awesome. It was awesome, but then like two seconds later, Bray Wyatt just stands up. He's like, "Oh, I'm fine." Uh-huh. But so the, the the match ends with. With Randy beating up Bray Wyatt, I think that I think it ended maybe with him putting the refrigerator on actually, and then Randy's like, "Oh, you know, what? I'm gonna leave and go back to the arena now." And so he just gets in his limo that was waiting outside the House of Horrors, gets yeah. in his limo, <laughs> goes back to the arena, and he's in the ring basically like, "I declare victory." And Bray Wyatt comes out just. You know, no show of him getting back to the arena, nothing like that. He just shows up. I want to talk about that because I want to talk about contribution to storylines, which we mentioned earlier. What do you think is the ratio of the wrestler, whether ad-libbing or just being themselves, being that presence? What's the ratio between the wrestler, the writer, coming up with the storylines, and the audience's reaction to all of that? So where would you put the balance on those? Well, there's. You mentioned it earlier that Vince kind of has his hand of God approach, if you will, yeah. because everything runs through Vince, and then it runs through Triple H. But Vince still has Vince still has the the say over everything, and the vast majority of the roster just at this point do exactly what the creative team tells them, and a lot of their promos are even scripted right now for some reason. Hmm. Where in the past they didn't always script them, but like when you hear Roman Reigns. And you're like, why is he saying the same thing for the millionth time? Or right now you hear Jinder Mahal, who's like, let me talk to my people in my native language of Punjabi. And he goes on, and he's actually Canadian, so it really bugs me. <laughs> That's all coming from creative, and they have no choice over what that. They have to take what creative gives them and, and make the best of it. So the most people that you see, they're just doing exactly what creative has told them, and it limits what they're doing. You compare that, though, to somebody like Chris Jericho. Not that he can write his own storylines, but he is as close as it comes besides Triple H that can do that. Triple H completely does whatever he wants. But every time you see a Chris Jericho feud or you know he's coming on TV, it's amazing. <laughs> you gotta drink it in, man. Which is Chris Jericho's obviously latest catchphrase. Right. And for his millionth redo of his character, 
got the fact over that he took out a clipboard with a piece of paper and told people that they made essentially his shit list. <laughs> and he wrote their name on the list and he would go, he would go, you know, Roman Reigns. And the, the crowd would be cheering for it, waiting, waiting, waiting. You just made the list! And everyone would go, what? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it was just like, that's, that's amazing that he can do that. And, and that, that's all him. That's not creative. That's oh, him. right. But so to, to that point, like the ad living is kind of, it's kind of out the window at this point. If you're somebody who is acting upon what creative has given them, they know at a particular moment after they win, they got to go, they got to go on up on the turnbuckle and like give it to the crowd. And if they have the mic put in their hand, they are going to toe the company line and say what they are told to say because... You said that Jinder Mahal is constantly saying the same thing over and over again. Why is he saying that stuff? It's quite literally a marketing mechanism mm. at that point. Reiterate what the brand of Jinder Mahal is. Reiterate what the brand of John Cena is. He doesn't need to factor that in to how he's going to wrestle that particular night. That's built into him. And there are a lot of people on the writer's side building, building that character, building that brand. So when it's repeated over and over again the audience knows how to interact and how to interface with their favorite wrestler because they don't necessarily stray unless creative tells them to. It's very true. I mean, they are they are a brand. Every single person, oh, yeah. every single character that they have is a huge brand to WWE. And creative's job and Vince's job is to make them the biggest brand that they can be because the brands, in their eyes, is just dollar signs. Yeah. Right? That's dollar signs to their, to their bottom line. And they're a publicly traded company. They're trying to maximize return to shareholders. And each, to me, the most brilliant thing about this is each character is a window or a door for a potential new fan to walk through. You don't, and, and Jinder Mahal, weirdly enough, is a good example of this. Perfect example. Yeah, like, oh man, India, a billion, a billion people, a billion plus people, mm. probably viewed as an untapped market, and they're like, okay, what do we do? Because they don't necessarily have an Indian presence. Granted, the, dude, the dude's Canadian. Right. Fine. Well, whatever. he's yeah. Indo-Canadian or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. But, but he, yeah, he has Indian yeah. heritage, right. and yeah. uh, but his character was specifically crafted with specific traits to attract a very specific type of audience that perhaps wouldn't have keyed in on even somebody as popular as The Rock or John Cena yep. or or whomever, which is brilliant because if if Jinder Mahal doesn't appeal to you, maybe it's one of the maybe it's Bray Wyatt. Yeah. And, if, and if it's not Bray Wyatt, then maybe it's Finn Balor. Yeah. Because they're just going to like, oh man, we got somebody who we think could be a crossover hit, but we can't quite do it, so let's just build a, a psychedelic freak Irishman that we can... Seamus. Yeah, <laughs> that, we can, that we can throw in there. Yeah. And all of a sudden, boom, somebody who didn't really want anything to do with wrestling yeah. is like, oh man, I don't really like wrestling, it's all fake. But I love Seamus. So you're going to tune in for the pay, for that particular part of it, or like, oh, I'm not going to go watch pay-per-view with my friends. Yep. Seamus' match is going to... Oh, I'm there. Right. Like, I'm going to go watch it. I'm going to watch that, at least that part for Seamus, and then you just let the wave of wrestling wash over you. I, I think that they WWE has done an amazing job of that, and even though we're making fun of Jinder Mahal for saying the same thing over and over, we know it. It's working. Yeah. We know what it is. If and it, it, he, they wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't working. Exactly. And so while, you know, kind of your hardcore wrestling fan may not like Jinder Mahal for that, you can't take anything away from what he's done because he's done an amazing job. And when they when they go to India in a couple months, what do you, you think's gonna you, happen? You can better believe that he is going to. I mean, when you watch his entrance, when those two little Singh brothers come out, you know the two little IT guys, as I call them, when they come out and they say, you know, welcome Jinder Mahal, and the the screen lights up and it looks like you know yeah. Taj Mahal, and then all of a sudden he comes yeah. out with this headband, his face covered, and then. He comes out there and he's absolutely shredded out of his. I mean, that guy has veins on veins it's, on it's veins. It's scary. You're, if you're an Indian fan, or if you're in India and you start watching that and you hear Americans boo him, yeah. I mean, my goodness, you're gonna love that. Guy. Yeah, of course, it's brilliant. It's brilliant character craftsmanship, as surface level as it is. Absolutely. Why? Why the heck not? You yeah, know? we just get him a little bit better in the ring and. They yeah. got it. Well, let's talk about. You said that they're going to India. Obviously, Jinder Mahal is going to show up and he's going to blow the roof off the place. Can you make three predictions about future storylines coming up? Ooh, three predictions about future storylines coming up. The Shield reunion right now, mm -hmm. which is going to be absolutely amazing to watch. I mean, yeah, that, that's not a that's not a huge prediction. People know that's going to happen, but I just want to I just want to emphasize how awesome that's going to be to see Roman Reigns 
Dean Ambrose and Seth. I mean, I'm gonna mark out big time. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna mark out for that. And however it ends, I don't know. if Somebody turns heel. I don't know what they're gonna do with it. But it's gonna be freaking awesome. If so, if one of those three is gonna turn heel, who do you think it's gonna be? It would be Dean Ambrose. What? Yeah, I think it'd be Dean Ambrose. Well, Roman is this weird in between character that I think is the I think it is hands down the best thing that Vince McMahon has done since Stone Cold Steve Austin. Pushing Roman Reigns out there, even though the audience rejects him. The audience is just like, what are you doing with this guy? But you got to remember, a couple years ago, the audience was was screaming for Roman Reigns. I mean, they wanted Roman Reigns, when he was part of the Shield, and then when the Shield kind of broke up, like they wanted Roman Reigns to be the best thing of all time. And then all of a sudden, they started, put, they started shoving him down our throats way too fast, and people were like... Nah, never mind. I'm going to boo the hell out of this guy. And the fact that WWE has stuck to that is incredible because his his gimmick now, we don't like we really don't care if you like this guy or don't like this guy as long as you make any noise when he comes out. And sometimes he gets like, you know, some cities he's liked more than others, but his character now is truly just this screw you. I'm not really going to be mean to you about it, but I don't care if you support me because I'm doing the best thing for me and my family, as he puts it. It's amazing. And he's steering into the skid. Do you think that's creative, being like, oh, man, we got to deal with Vince's, you know, Reigns lust, and we're pushing this guy out there under, like, corporate orders. The fans know that corporate is pushing him, and obviously the best way to steer into the skid is to make the character all about, hey, you can hate me all you want, but... By God, the man's got a family. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his whole thing, I can, I will. I mean, I I love that. And then he beats The Undertaker at WrestleMania, right? The next night on Raw, first of all, the, the, the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania is always amazing. But he walks out into that ring. The fans wouldn't let him say a word. If you haven't watched this segment, you got to watch the beginning of Monday Night Raw, the day after WrestleMania this year, when Roman Reigns can't even talk. I forget how long the segment is, but it's something like 12 minutes long where he's not even, like the fans, every time he tries to talk, none of them, they boo the hell out of him. They, 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 the first time I've ever heard a live chant of probably, I'd guess, maybe 18,000 in that arena, the F word, basically saying yeah. F you. Yeah. Unbelievable. But they knew, they freaking knew that they were going to put him out there. They oh. knew the following night that that was exactly what was going to happen. The That's best. the relationship between... The like they just know the characters and they know the audience so well, yeah. and that's the and the audience knows what to do. The the audience knows what to do, and Roman just takes the mic and he just says, "It's my yard now." Obviously, you know, taking a dig at the Undertaker's whole thing, drops the mic and, and he just got booed out of the building, and it was, it was incredible, and I think that was an amazing moment for WWE. But they've also kind of backed themselves in the corner because everybody's like, "We don't want Roman, you know, turn him heel." If all of a sudden they start turning Roman Reigns heel and he starts actually attacking the true baby faces, mm. fans are fans are, are probably going to boo that too. Well, what about any predictions on that beyond the Shield reunion? Uh, well, I think they're building up to, to truly crown uh, Roman Reigns as the true face of WWE at next year's WrestleMania. I, I do believe that he'll beat Brock Lesnar there. Clean. Middle of the ring. One, two, three as the coronation of Roman Reigns, which I've tried to do for the past few WrestleManias, but I think this is the actual moment that they'll do it. And I'm hoping that they build it up right with the Shield and you know maybe some plot twists there that it will go over better than people think it will at this point. Do you want to talk about uh, the technology within wrestling? Because beyond pushing certain wrestlers as brands, getting them out there, letting them engage with people on social media, promoting them as you know, these gateway products into the grander wrestling product. Wrestling seems beyond technology. It mm -hmm. is simply a live carnival show mm -hmm. with a backstory. Yep. Where do, where is the advancement here beyond just global saturation? How what Im, what role does emerging technology play in wrestling? It's a great question. And I think I don't think anybody has a great answer to that because I think you see WWE try and play around with different things to make technology come to life more. Um, even as simple as some of the things that they've done with their sets that they've tried. And they've tried like the, you know, these, these LED boards and these weird things like the ring post LED. And then it just doesn't really work because, I mean, some of it does, but for the most part, wrestling is what it is. And the technology, if you add too much from it, it's gonna take away from the character. So I don't think that there's more technology that the wrestlers 
should be using. I think the technology is on how fans get access to the content, and I think it's how the, the how the wrestlers represent themselves, like on social media. I mean, some wrestlers are unbelievable to follow on social media. Some aren't worth your time. Like the Iron Sheik. Yeah, I don't even know what that guy's doing. <laughs> but like, Jinder Mahal, you know, bring it back to Jinder, who's obviously having a great year. Jinder Mahal on social media, again, fitness. I, the guy posts his workouts every single day, and I'm like, that guy's getting after. So for anybody that says that Jinder Mahal didn't earn his title, watch his Snapchat stories, watch his Instagram stories, because that guy burns more calories in a minute than most Americans do in a day. It's unbelievable. So, an actual transparency into the way that these wrestlers behave, the way that they do their jobs, quite frankly. I was about to say something around the technology improvements are going to be in making sure that the wrestlers are fit, not dying of CTE, you know, not at risk of injury, I suppose I would say, and just, weirdly enough, like, bigger, faster, more capable. That's where the technology is going to come into play. Perhaps it's more in healthcare than being like, oh, let's strap a camera to a drone and buzz it around the arena. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think the, the fans yeah. will necessarily respond to, let's put LEDs all over the ropes. Like, that, it kind of makes it look weird. People, yeah, it would, people would reject something that they're not as familiar with. What they are familiar with is somebody who is a wrestler that is just better man they're just they're faster they're more capable of these yep. things well so let's let's start with that for a second because WWE a few years ago opened the performance center in Orlando where they I mean WCW used to have they used to have the uh, the power plant that they call it where you go and train wrestlers but WWE now has the performance center which is where they train all their NXT talent mm. and current wrestlers can go there too and it is everything I mean they have the best strength and conditioning coaches you can imagine the way that the wrestlers are training is very different than it used to be because a lot of wrestlers are doing CrossFit functional workouts now compared to the 80s and 90s where it was, you know, how much can I bench press? So guys like Seth Rollins or, I mean, Cesaro, the, those guys are setting, not to make fun of Cesaro and Sheamus' gimmick, but they are setting <laughs> the bar for what workouts should be for professional wrestlers. And then you go then you go to the next generation, right, improvements in healthcare and the performers you want a, a better bigger faster wrestler yeah that's what they're doing with nxt they are they are bringing those people in and saying this is the way we do things and you're going to do it and it's similar i think to how alabama runs their football program like you're going to come in here you're going <laughs> to exactly plug them into the same plug them into the saving program and you're going to win a national championship yeah you know and they're like the nxt you're going to come in here you're going to do this and hopefully you make the main roster yeah you know? that's that's fascinating because it's kind of Beyond the engagement, the sport of wrestling is like future-proof at this point. There's not a whole lot that really needs to change. You know, the pirate—I don't think the pyrotechnics have necessarily gotten much bigger. They actually cut all pyrotechnics at this point. Oh, all. <laughs> forgive my ignorance, uh, which is why all of the uh, all the entrance ramps for WrestleMania are all LED. They're the, they're, it's amazing what they do with those. Yeah. yeah, that stuff is fascinating. The structures and yeah. like. Quite honestly, set design. Set design has always fascinated me, and I used to draw a million of them. I actually still do. Is yeah. I still draw. Like, if I'm bored, I'll just draw things. I, I think the best wrestling stages of all time were the Monday Night Raw set that was used from, you know, like 2000 to 2005. And the start of it was the WrestleMania 17 stage. I mean, when they opened at the Astrodome. And you, were, you were really psyched to share that with me. Oh, it was... It was incredible. I mean, WrestleMania 17, that was the peak of the Attitude Era. That was the peak, and that's when that's when Stone Cold joined the evil forces. He joined the evil empire of Vince McMahon. Oh, man. Um, but one last thing on technology I'll say quickly is WWE, I don't think, gets enough credit for what WWE Network has done. WWE Network is a very well-tuned piece of software. And I'm not in the tech world, so maybe it does get more credit than I think, but that is... They were, they, like, I remember for years there was the rumors that WWE Network is coming. And it's like, okay, like, I'm a huge NFL Network fan. So I'm like, okay, like, maybe I'll just be able to click up a channel and it'll be WWE Network. And then they come out with this, basically, they have, they have live content. Like, you can just click the streaming view if you want. But it's just, everything's on demand. Just this app that you just go to. And at first I was like, what is this going to be like? And then you get it, you start clicking around and you're like, holy smokes. This is a wrestling fan's. Dream. It's, it's, an, it's, it's an encyclopedia. 
It is. Yeah. yeah. And instead of clicking through 15-minute clips on YouTube of Monday Night Raw, you get the whole thing of any single, well, almost every single one that you want to watch. Yeah. You can watch WCW. Even Chris Benoit. You could, they did not edit out Chris Benoit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's remarkable what it's done. And from a business standpoint, I know shareholders aren't always happy because it's not growing as fast as they want it to. But from a bottom line standpoint, look, if you're an, if you're, if you're an average fan... Are you going to spend $50? They might even be $60. They might have been $60 by the time it was released. $60 once a month on a pay-per-view? You're not going to. You're not going to. And that's why that's why I think the original point around getting together to watch a pay-per-view with your friends, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily bother going, but like if you know that it's already kind of bought and paid for and you're going to stream it straight off your PlayStation, yeah. you're more compelled to engage with the content when it is presented in via a medium that people are the most comfortable with. Yeah. Weirdly enough, the fact that there is a WWE app on my PlayStation compels me to actually engage with it a little bit more. Yep. Because it's... Everybody at this point is very comfortable with streaming things. $10 a month. Yeah. Right? So it's $120 a year that WWE is getting from more people than they were getting to pay the larger dollars. Yeah. Thing. So net-net, maybe it's not winning it. I don't know the financials on it. But net-net, maybe it's not a huge positive yet. But like... I think it is, and it's absolutely going to be. And it's, it's they're annuitizing their income stream, which is what so many companies are trying to do. But WWE has done an incredible job with it. And I'm going to ask another question that's very probably near and dear to your heart, and I want you to be able to engage with this with Ooh, all your mental capacity. I'm excited. How is wrestling like working in finance? <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Well, we've talked a lot about characters. We've talked yeah. talked a lot about predestination because of scripts and yeah. things like that. We've talked a lot about the outside forces of an audience, people being able to beat up their bosses, yeah. Uh, yeah. superseding one another, rising sure. rising more quickly than they ought to. Uh, talk to me about that comparison. I think a couple things. I would say, one, they're both pretty cutthroat. Mm -hmm. You hear the behind-the-scenes stories about people trying to get to the top, and then you have people like... John Cena, who people think squashes people behind the scenes, which may or may not be true. That's certainly true in the world of finance. If you think about like startup companies, you can have a you can have a big brother company just come and squash you. Yeah. Right. You could be a good tracker, things are going well, but somebody just either buys you out or you're just you or the, you know you're done. I'd say the other thing is you can watch a wrestler's sports entertainer, sports yeah. entertainer, superstar. Yes. Oh, that's right, superstar. Yeah. You can literally watch their stock rise and fall on a weekly basis, hmm. right? John Cena is essentially, you know, the Apple of WWE, right? Their <laughs> most, va just, most valuable stock most, available. Most valuable stock available that they have. And then you start, you, you can just watch, and he's just constantly trending upwards. And he's basically, you know, economically insensitive, very low beta stock, if you will. But... Other wrestlers, such a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> other wrestlers, sports entertainers, superstars, are very sensitive to one bad night or one bad change. Um, if you're, if you're, if your gimmick, if you will, if your character is something that you don't think is gonna, you know, can go on to be a main event superstar, probably, then your stock price is not gonna stay high for long. And I, I think even if you have all the talent in the world, so. I think about Fandango, who a few years ago was the hot thing because he had his, his little dancer with him and she was beautiful and he'd come out and he'd shake his hips and he'd do his thing and everybody, you know, they loved his music and everybody would sing it. They're never going to put the, the world title on that guy. <laughs> no. You know? They're never going to put the world title on that guy. And his no. character screwed from the beginning because nobody's going to take that seriously for long. So if his stock is going to rise quickly, it's going to pop up. You're like, ooh, Fandango, da 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 And then... It's gonna fall. Yeah, it did. like a like an item in a tech bubble, and you're just like, we don't necessarily need an app devoted entirely to food delivery via scooter or something like that. It, you yeah. need you need to expand your product, bro. We got a diversified your portfolio. And in the '90s, all of their all of their characters were those kind of characters. They're all just like boom. Characters. And guess what? That bubble popped. Yeah, right. And WWE came out on top because they created the Attitude Era, and then those people redefined the economics of wrestling. Hey, I don't need any more answer than that. That's that kind of that kind of ruled. <laughs> <laughs> T tell me in order what the eras are. What would you call them in wrestling? We can go far as far back to the Attitude Era as we want, or we can go further back than that if you want to just list them off one by one. 
but what I want to know is what the defining traits are of each era, in, including yeah. including the modern era of where we are right now. Yeah. Um, well, so if you think, I mean, the, the wrestling there was a, there was certainly a peak in the '80s, and they might even call it the golden age of wrestling. I believe that was characterized by larger than life characters that were that were cartoony characters. Yeah, characters, characters that were cartoony yeah. and um, not necessarily believable, and it was cartooned by kind of or it was. It was um, it looked like a lot of cheesy things were happening, right? And then that kind of made its way through the 90s for a while. Then the Attitude Era started and it was defined by Crash TV. This is WWE perspective. WWE did a little bit differently, but Crash TV, edginess, a lot more sexual, sexual, I don't know, nature was on air. So, yeah, sexuality. They, probably, they bumped it up from probably what you would call PG to more yeah. PG-13 or closer yeah. to R. It was PG-14, actually, is what oh, they did. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I just remember well, that. Well, yeah, that's why. that's fine. They probably yeah. made a bunch of little kid fans in the 80s, and they grew up and they were high schoolers by the time Yeah. By the time the 90s rolled around. And they say, okay, how do we engage these morons? And, and that's what know. they did. So, yeah. yeah, it was a lot edgier. There was a lot... The Crash TV, and it was a lot more hardcore, if you will, where there was a lot of chairs and blood and things like that. They don't really cut that much anymore. They don't. It's yeah. very rare if they do. Yeah. And the fact that Vince McMahon did it a couple weeks ago on live TV, yeah. he's putting over Kevin Owens in a big, big way. Love that guy, by the way. So then after that, you have what they call the Ruthless Aggression. Era. And that's late 90s, early 2000s? No, Attitude Era was technically September 22nd, 97 to, you know, it's debated, but basically April 1st, 2001. Okay. The Ruthless Aggression Era, then you had the little invasion angle. We could do 10 podcasts on the invasion on how <laughs> upset it made me. Um, and then Ruthless Aggression Era started when John Cena debuted, mm. and he told Kurt Angle that he was going to beat him because of Ruthless Aggression. And that lasted basically until... And the, the characteristics of that were um, kind of in between uh, what we have today and what the what the Attitude Era was. It was just kind of weird in between stage of the business. And I don't honestly don't really enjoy watching a lot of shows from that time frame. Hmm. It's kind of this, you know they had the Evolution storyline and Triple yeah. H had these weird mutton chop beard thing going on, and um, they're trying to figure out what to do with all those WCW stars that they still had on the roster that could be good, and it was just kind of awkward. Well, mergers, mergers are awkward. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Then it became the PG era, which started in 2008, and they completely changed things around. PG slash HD. That's when WWE went HD with all their shows. Got it. And um, that was, at first, they kind of went over the overboard with it, and it was very PG, and um, people weren't happy with it. They're like, bring back the Attitude Era. Bring back the Attitude Era. But the reason the Attitude Era was good wasn't because of the swear words. Right, it wasn't because of blood. It wasn't because of chair shots. It was because you had believable characters and believable storylines. Of course, they are larger than life. That's what all entertainment is. But that's the biggest difference. And then now, I don't know what we call the era now. I like to think of it as a diversified era, if that makes sense. Just yeah. because they global era. You could, yeah, maybe just the WWE Network era. I, forget, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what the actual... There actually is a term for this because I read it not long ago. There's a whole Wikipedia page of all the eras. Yeah. But I say that because they've brought in stars from the indies, which they never wanted to do before. They've built up talent from NXT. And they still do a lot of things that they do very, very well. And I think they're co more confident now in their business model what they want to do than they have been for a while. This goes to, I would say, 20... 2013 probably. 2013 is probably when that starts. So 28, 2008 to 2011 was kind of was uh, the the PG, and then you know, it was okay there, and then it was 2013 that it really started picking up, getting into the more modern era. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think there was a change when they abandoned the diva brand and just had it start to be women's? So okay, so I guess you could even break it up a little bit further until. Last year, so 2016, when they did the roster split again, which oh, yeah. I had my hesitations about. And that's roughly the same time that, that the women's wrestling brand came back. Since that brand split, I think, that, I think the product has been very strong for the most part. Very, very strong. And I think that the women's division has been particularly strong, especially, you know, in the beginning or so, partly in due, or in due part to Charlotte. Because right. she, I mean, she is... That she had some amazing matches, and the fact that her and Sasha Banks main evented a pay per view in a Hell in a Cell, 
is incredible. They just let them wrestle. It was great. Yeah, the yeah, athleticism from the women is phenomenal. They're, so they they move so quickly and they they're really agile and yeah. they just throw each other around. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, you can put you know you can you can put Charlotte and Sasha Banks and Bailey and then even you know Nia Jax just just for the look of it. In a fatal four-way every night, I'd be happy. You know, like they're great to watch. <laughs> one, one more question before the uh, lightning round. Oh boy. Last formal question. Tell me one thing that somebody should know about wrestling. It's a performance. Yeah. It is a performance. It's, it is. It is not a sport. When people are like, "Why do you watch something when you, you, you know, it's not real? It's very real." It's live theater. It's very real. Yeah it's, yeah, it's live theater, but it also combines the most athletic people that you will... Not that you'll ever see, but it'll be out there. Right, it's a stunt show. It's like, do you want to go watch them uh, film Fast and the Furious? They're throwing like 8 million cars off the parking garage. No, that's yeah. fake. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but it's seriously like that. Like, do you go see live theater shows? Sure. Do you watch movies? Sure. Yeah. Wrestling is the same thing, but you can actually go... You can, uh, you, you can consume the material live in person too which is really really cool DDP said it best when he said there's nothing fake about that mat <laughs> I don't care who you are you get thrown off the top turnbuckle you hit that mat that's dude, a that, long way down that hurts man that hurts yeah. the fact that they can do this so well without injuries for the most part it's it's incredible I guarantee if you try and get in the wrestling ring and, and run on those ring ropes you're gonna have bruises the next day just from the ropes yeah I mean think about it, all the times you were play fighting with a sibling or something like yeah. that. And you're like, you know, just booking it around the house and slamming against each other. You can't do that for, like, at high speed. Yeah. At an acrobatic speed for more than four minutes before you're like, okay, give me a break here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But these guys are out there for, you know, some of the matches get kind of long, quite honestly. Yeah. But, but nevertheless, it is evidence of, yeah, these dudes are throwing other yeah. humans, like, oh, what did you do today? Like, oh, I threw a 200-pound dude <laughs> off 200, of a... 200 small, Yeah, man. like, off of a springboard. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and they were capable enough to do that in front of a lot of people with neither person getting hurt. Right. Man, that's pretty cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah. What I'm really excited about now is the lightning round. Uh, right, so how does, how does this work again? The lightning round works like this, and you might be a little bit intimidated. I am, because um, I'm long-winded. Because, well... It, it's going to get a little bit silly because it's it's a small game called What Is, and then you have three options that you have to choose from. Okay, so I choose so the, the, the question. Yeah, the question, the question is, is wrestling A, B, or C? Okay. And it's not always awesome. going to make... yes. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's not always going to make sense. Okay. And you have to pick one of the Do three. Do I need to explain it or no? Yes, please. Please provide as much or as little detail as but possible. But is a lightning round? Well, you know, you're going to get a lot of points if you can answer quickly and eloquently. Okay, got it. Is the way that it works. Cool. Uh, cue the music. Okay, great. Uh, is wrestling art, business, or science? Uh, it is art. Um, wrestling in the ring is art because it is, like we were just talking about, you are throwing around large men not hurting each other while at the same time making a compelling storyline to make fans want to be like, man, I want this guy to win this match. And, oh, I'm really sad when he doesn't win this match. The other part of wrestling is business, so I cheated, but I don't care. You can't. Okay, so we're going to go with art. Art. <laughs> is wrestling trash, simple, or classic? Uh, it is classic. Uh, it is classic because they are combining so much of what is the original wrestling, right, which is classic wrestling, and uh, paying homage to it. Homage. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, right? Yeah. Because they are still doing a lot of things that Classy Freddie Blassie did. They are still doing things that, <laughs> that Killer Kowalski, I mean, Killer Kowalski trained Triple H, for God's sake. So it is classic. Uh, it is also classic American entertainment, where professional wrestling is bigger here than anywhere else in the world, maybe besides Japan, yeah. but it is classic American is wrestling beer, whiskey, or Red Bull? Uh, wrestling is Red Bull, 100%. Um, because of the... Uh... <laughs> because of the turbocharged! Yeah, I mean, think about it. Ah. You're, you're watching the match, and all of a sudden, you know, the glass breaks, and Stone Cold comes out, and you're like, That's Red Bull. Yeah, that's Red Bull. Is wrestling dream, real, or journey. 
Wow, I like this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, when you first said Dream, I was going to say Dream, but it's Journey. Yeah, right? It is Journey because you want, and WWE wants you to hitch your wagon to a superstar and watch their journey. Which is exactly what we've talked about. Yeah. You want, they throw a product out there, the product itself isn't entirely just wrestling, it is this particular wrestler that you identify with. Absolutely. And you want to you follow, follow that, follow, you want to follow them, the re WWE wants you to follow them all the way into the center. Of, All the way, the and if you're lucky, they are going to win the world title at WrestleMania. And but also from more than just a wrestler fan perspective, you are a fan of the wrestling business. It's a hell of a journey to watch it go through its ups and downs, the weird things that they deal with, and the things that they do, and it's a ton of fun. Is wrestling vegetable, jazz music, or architecture? Vegetable, jazz music, or architecture? It's architecture because everything has to come together every single night for it to look good and be classic, right? The, you have to have enough Red Bulls, right, for it to look classic out there, and the architecture of that is putting it all together. That's a good callback. Yeah. Is wrestling, you're gonna like this one, is wrestling Vince, Steph, or Triple H? Wrestling is Vince. <laughs> we don't need to expand on that. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with this little guy in the mask? Look at the little guy. <sighs> Stranger. Uh, is wrestling train, plane, or automobile? Um, it is automobile. Mm, why? And the reason for that is that it can appeal to all different shapes and sizes, and many people are going to look at it different ways, right? You say automobile. If I say automobile, what are you going to say? Name a brand. Ford. Ford, right? You say that to me. I say Jeep. There you go. Right? I say wrestling. You say Sheamus. I say Roman Reigns. There you go. Is wrestling blood, sweat, or respect? I'm going to say wrestling is sweat, mm. actually, because you think about what sweat represents. You can't fake sweat, unless you have a sweating problem. You can't fake sweat, right? Because you have to put in the work to get the sweat to come out of you. And wrestling is the same exact one. There you go. Is wrestling football, NASCAR, or gymnastics? Uh, well, I think you know how to answer this one. Wrestling is football. Yeah. Um, because you're gonna have you're gonna have the quarterback who is essentially the star of the show. Uh, so John Cena right now is a quarterback, hell of a quarterback, even though he played center at Division Three Springfield College um, in Massachusetts. But, uh, yeah, so wrestling is football because you are essentially going to have different storylines and different plays every single night, every single year, and things are going to change and evolve just like football has. Football used to be the wing tee. College football used to only be option. Now everybody's run the spread. Right? Wrestling used to be hardcore chair shots, flaming tables. And now it's, you know. Instagram. It's, it, it, now it's hell in a cell between two women wrestlers. Yeah, there you go. Is wrestling alien, predator, or terminator? Wrestling is. Predator or terminator? Uh, it is terminator. Because right. Arnold's jacked. Yeah, right. And so, so am I. Okay. All right, last one. We'll get you out here on this. Is wrestling freedom? Victory or truth? Truth. Truth, right? Wrestling is the truth. It, there is no truer representation of society. I, I, I think that wrestling represents kind of what society in America is like at different times through the years. Like, yes, we were talking about this earlier, but the Attitude Era, the 90s, MTV was huge with Crash TV. Yeah. That's when all those things were, you know, weird so it's the, it's the birth. Things. It's the birth of reality television. Yeah, I mean, wrestling reflects yeah. kind of... They, they do a really good job of reflecting uh, current events in America. Yeah. So it is the truth. There is no greater lens to look through when it comes to how a brand engages with its potential audience than wrestling. I, I couldn't agree more with that. Beautiful. Hey, guess what? You, yeah. win, you win the lightning round. I win! Woo! <laughs> Do I want a title? Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, what, what belt should we give you? Uh, the uh, interstate champion. What, no, can I win the internet championship like Zack Ryder used to have? There's an internet championship. Zach, so Zack Ryder, some of the guy who made his own brand, he basically WWE didn't want to push him, so he made himself popular on the internet and gave he branded himself the internet champion because so many people liked him on the internet that they ended up having to give him a push for a while. 
He Dane cooked himself. So I want to beat the internet champion. Well, yeah. Well, let's let's give you a belt. Thank you. Okay. Yep. Here cool. we go. All right. Throw that on. Oh wow. Wear that to work. You gave me a belt. Yeah. Nice. Put that over your shoulder okay. and uh, just hang it over your uh, hang it over your desk at work and intimidate everybody. Love it. Yeah. I actually have a wrestling championship at work that I give to people on my team when I think they've done something worthy of it. That yeah. is non-work related. That's a bold move. Yeah. That's a that's because that's because you're the people's champion. I absolutely. Yeah. Right. Well, that's all we have time for. Sadly. Yes. Um, Hope you invite me back. Yeah. No, no. We're, we definitely going to need you back for shoot for something, man. Probably have a football episode. We should do a football one or particular parts of wrestling. Mm. You know? Go deeper into something. Yeah. Like maybe we talk only about the Undertaker versus Kane storylines. <laughs> just I can talk for hours. Just go on and out of you know? <laughs> NWO. I don't know. Just spitball. I, I want to talk about the birth of the NWO, like who's the third man and all that. Oh. Yeah. 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 I think that would be interesting. Okay. Anyway, that's that's all we have time for today. Thanks Thank for you. Me. Thank you for joining me, Will. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all next time. So they should call it a liar's fund. They should call it a gamble fund. Okay. It's just gamble. You're just putting your money on one person to gamble for you. What happens in Return of the Jedi? You watch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I am a big fan of Return of the Jedi, yeah. but I also am a large fan of Attack of the Clones.